What's Patrick's last name again? Sweat. No, it isn't. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, Patrick Sweat, for real. Didn't yeah. do a big dumb ride. He did a big dumb run. He did a big dumb run. <laughs> a really and big dumb run. It was really big and really dumb. Um, but really enjoyed this one. I think <laughs> it wasn't about cycling, but the themes were were uh, parallel, relevant. Yeah, ex- exerting yourself, exerting yourself till exhaustion and eating garbage out of uh, <laughs> yeah. out of gas stations. <laughs> Weird things happening to your body. Um, I think what set Patrick apart, aside from the extraordinary distance that he ran um, and the weird places he slept, like gutters and um, gas station parking lots, was that he listened to the entire audiobook of Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> during the run. <laughs> and it's now has that imprinted on his brain in a really weird way. In a really weird way. It cannot be undone sure that if i were to go back and like listen to the audio book again listen to jim dale reading it again I, oh yeah i've heard this before i was in a dream state you know <laughs> so <laughs> so in some ways watching the movies is easier because it doesn't have all those strange associations sorry to be uh, rolling up in your uh, your bike party <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Big Dumb Run. Big Dumb Run, yes. Run, yeah, we're, we're switching up practices tonight. We've done a couple episodes on, on mountain biking, which is something that I know a lot about, but um, Sarah doesn't really do. Um, and today we're going to talk about running, which is something that Sarah does, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run if being chased. <laughs> You're just smart enough to avoid the whole sport. So, you know, kudos to you. Yeah. I'll tell that to my surgically repaired collarbone. There you go. <laughs> You're like, I'll find a way to get hurt one way or another. another. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, we're, we're the big dumb ride. That is the theme of this show. We're, we're branching out a little bit, talking about a different big dumb sport. Because, Patrick, Andy tells me you ran really far, as in across the state, just for fun. Yeah, I did this race called uh, the last annual Ball State Road Race, which is a stupid name, which is a dumb name, I should say, for a race. And it's an even dumber concept. We started way up on the border, the northwestern border of Tennessee, and we ran down and across the state. So they call it 500K. It ends up being about 314 miles. And um, we did this in the middle of July because apparently hurting a lot is a lot of fun. So uh, <laughs> if, you've, if you've ever heard of the Barkley Marathons, this is another one of Last Lake's races. So there's oh. this sort of middle Tennessee cult of pain, and this was one of the races. And uh, I was privileged to do this back in, I want to say, like 2016, and uh, went out and lived on the road for a week and ran a lot and generally chafed more than I have in my entire life. So it was a big party. <laughs> At least some of the themes are consistent across our episodes then. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was, I was listening to some of your earlier podcasts and I was like, yeah, you know, like <laughs> we're all about building community here. We just want to help bridge the divide between. Absolutely. Bikers you and know, that's and so help important. you all realize where the shared misery lies. And the intersection <laughs> of joy, insanity, and chafing comes together. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there's no um, aid stations for the ball. So basically, they uh, they give you the route, which is a GPX file, and they have a meat wagon, they call it. They have a van that follows behind the last runner. 
And so the whole time you're trying to beat this meat wagon so that it's not getting picked up and shelled to the end in back disgrace. And uh, there's no aid station, so you're just on these Tennessee country roads. So you're subsisting on sun-kissed and corn dogs and, you know, cracker jack and whatever you can find in a gas station. And, um, and, and learning whole new things about your body that, uh, that you, you didn't know before. <laughs> Probably terrible, horrible things about your body that you didn't Terrible, horrible things. Yeah, like, so, so there's, there's never been a point in my life when I've been so happy to see Dollar General stores. Like, you'd roll up on one, you'd be like, oh, an oasis in the desert, and you can go in there and just, like, sweep the medical aisle and, you know, try to put every possible, like, type of cream on your tortured, horrible body <laughs> as the uh, staff looks on and just, like, disappointment and dismay because you're, like, the hundred runner to come through doing this exact same thing. <laughs> People just come on here and bitch about their the horror shows of these races. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that uh, probably one point of commonality between being and running these distances is that you have to think pain is funny at some some level <laughs> and find humor in just like the uh, <laughs> the misery. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's it's offered a lot of fodder for the last year for me and Andy. You know, started out absolutely. With- bike ride together which then led to this podcast which started as a joke and And i'm so glad that it's real because when i see you know posts or uh, hear about bag pizza and similar i just i feel like i'm home you know i'm just like yeah like junk food out of a ziploc like that's about right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what are we talking about in terms of like mileage day by day 314 miles is the official total for the whole thing and i averaged about 45 47 a day oh my god Wow. It's a trial. The, uh, and there's different phases, right? Because it's, it, it's like the different stages of grief where there's denial and then there's acceptance. And then eventually, you know, you're just dead. But uh, <laughs> so you have sort of day by day, 45 miles, you know, like 12, 15 hours on your feet to sort of think about what you're doing. And as you cross Tennessee, you go through all the tiny towns that have become acclimated to the site of sort of miserable dragging runners, runners or, you know, sort of walkers at that point, you know, sort of coming through town. And sometimes you, you'd come into like, uh, like Hohenwald, Tennessee, everybody knows Hohenwald, Tennessee, right? Um, you'd come into Hohenwald and you'd take a nap in a cemetery and, uh, then you'd run down to the Sonic so it was falling because night was like, you know, a gift, like it got cold ish, <laughs> it got cooler and you'd like, you know, power down a slushy lemonade and then you try to make as much mileage during the dark as you possibly could. So, um, every day about 47 miles and just sort of, uh, running and trying to survive, you know, as much as you could within each, with, within each sort of discrete ton- chunk of time, because the meat wagon was always bearing down on you. What was your pace? Oh, that's just an embarrassing question. <laughs> I think in uh, on the last day I might I might have you know like gone crazy and gotten like five miles an hour or something like that when I when I could like smell the barn and like the finish line was just one more freaking hill um and I'll tell you the worst thing was on that final day because Laz has this truly sick sense of humor you know you're you're counting down the miles on that final day you know there's 20 miles left there's 15 miles left there's 10 miles left and you get to this farm you know that once you hit the border of the farm there's only three miles left and you see a sign that says one mile to go and you're like yes oh my gosh and you see another sign like a mile later it says one mile to go you oh. do that three times leading up into the final shoot and uh it's just uh, mental torture so i'd say like average pace so I haven't done the math because it's just embarrassing. He'll be like, you moved a mile and a half for, you know, seven and a half days. 
that's just embarrassing to hear, but uh, that's punctuated with, you know, periods of sleeping in ditches and, you know, conking out in front of, you know, restaurants on their concrete uh, patios in the middle of the night, just like hugging the guardrail, trying to cool down from the heat and stickiness. So it's a, it's not a very nice. <laughs> oh my God. It sounds horrible. It sounds miserable. It was horrible, but, but you know, you, you come out different. You guys know this from having done these long rides, right? You know, you're, you're not the same person when finish as you were when you started. And oh, there's yeah. a there's a transcendental element to it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a vision quest. Um, and so there we, we go. Yeah, because you see that. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you really do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we'll start to unpack some of the the pain and the chafing and the and the shit that you ate and the highs and the lows. So, yeah, we're glad that you brought this story today because um, we haven't really talked about running, but I feel as, as a as a runner, um, there's a lot of there's a lot in common with big dumb rides. I used to run in high school and college. I ran, I did track and field like a dummy, um, and did all the, like the middle distance, you know, fifteen hundred, um, three thousand, and then I did cross country, which was really fun. Um, really loved that, and then got out of college and kind of kept going with it, doing things like 10 Ks. And then for whatever reason, as I got older, I just started going longer and longer. I think that happens to a lot of people. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't know. Uh, so I started doing half marathons and marathons and I really liked, I liked the half distance a lot. I thought that was the sweet spot because it was hard and it was definitely like a, a test mentally and physically but you weren't completely shattered for three weeks afterwards like you are with a marathon where you're like doing permanent damage to your so so true yeah yeah so and it's over in like an hour and a half two hours you know it's like done yeah (laughs) as opposed to the marathon like this is a whole this is gonna dominate my whole day there's no time for brunch left (laughs) yeah i did um i did the boston marathon in 2014 and the, the first part of that marathon is like a slight downhill but it's mm-hmm. very subtle and you're just, and you're super amped up and, and like you've just been so, you're so wired and the screaming from the fans starts like from the beginning and doesn't stop until you finish. It's the craziest race I've ever been part of. But that little discreet downhill is so sneaky because then you kind of hit the midpoint and you start climbing out and your quad is completely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real bait and switch right there. Like lure you in like, you're so ready for this. You're here at since you belong you're here. about to get tore up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you're crying, you know, and you're you're like an adult, you're an adult person standing in a parking lot crying. Um yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be distance for it if it there weren't tears. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing was that I I really there's this band, uh young fathers that came to to U-Haul in DC and they were playing like the night after the marathon and I had been dying to see this band, so I got tickets. So I I got on a flight to BWI. I took a shuttle to Union Station and then I got myself to U-Haul. And then U-Haul, you have to go down this really steep flight of stairs to get to the concert space. And I could barely walk. I <laughs> <So laughs> do a little stagger on the stairs. And like looking like a dork. I had all my Boston gear on me and like I had a huge ass backpack. And I show up at U Street Music Hall for this like cool hip-hop scottish band <laughs> did you wear your metal like that's the real bad right there is where you rock your metal yeah, I put that shit away. 
but I had to, I had to, I had to go. <laughs> I had to get down into the concert space by walking backwards down the stairs like an ass. <laughs> I only enter parties backwards. <laughs> yeah, I think they thought I was, like, I, don't, I got a lot of like side eye. I was not cool. Plenty of people stumble down the stairs or, you know, totter teeter down the stairs at, at E Street Music Hall. It's just usually they're on drugs. <laughs> I was, I was they're somersaulting down there. Not. Yeah. <laughs> we're still pumping. Anyway, we're not here for me. We're here for you. Um, and I want to hear more about this insane run because I've never done a distance like that. And it sounds very hard. <laughs> so what was the strangest thing you saw? So I, um, I, so there's a lot of time on your feet, right? And, uh, now, and, and not everybody really wants to spend quite that much time in their head. So I, I came prepared and I was like, you know, there's gonna be some longest on the road. And so I had an MP3 player loaded up with Harry Potter. And so I listened to the entire seven books <laughs> over the course of the race <laughs> as I'm like running across middle Tennessee. And let me tell you, it like made for some messed up dreams. <laughs> like I would, <laughs> I'd like lay down on a park bench in like this like nowhere town in Tennessee and dream about wizards and magic. And then get up and then like sort of shuffle on to you know eat a cinnamon roll from a gas station and it just like messed with me so much but this one time so i mentioned like towns were not always excited to see you coming through right because you're dirty and you're sweaty and like you know you're just like you got no shame right you're just oh the courthouse lawn i guess i'll take a nap there <laughs> like seems legit and so they were not pleased to see us and so i came upon this gas station and they'd be like night four or five in the uh, middle of the countryside, just like super down home gas station. But they had taken all the benches outside and flipped them over so you couldn't sleep on them. And they had turned on all the lights inside the gas station and they were blasting music. But what they did not expect was that we were so whipped, we would sleep there anyway. <laughs> and so I got out my, sleep, my sleeping bag. I got out my face blanket that I carried with me and wrapped myself in it. And it's already like looking pretty bad, right? But um, I managed to, like, go to sleep in my shoes. You know, shoes is a pillow. At, the, at this point, is the kind of thing that started seeming normal after a few nights. But I woke up, and there was this little calico cat, like, sitting next to my head. And I, like, I wake up, and I look over, and it, look, like, looks at me, doesn't meow, doesn't do anything. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, this has been watching me while I sleep. Like, that's so, that's so weird. And so I put my shoes back on, and I back together and i'm running down the road and i realized the cat was a wizard that the cat was a wizard that had been watching me while i slept and i start like bawling <laughs> like i'm just like stripped bare emotionally and i'm just like weeping running on the road and i come to a house then i go inside like can i have can i have a seat and they're like okay so i'm like sitting in the back like eating and i'm like, crying about this cat because i'm just like totally just like strung out just like nothing nothing left no shame like no no common sense and uh, that's what it stands out to me is one of like the stranger things that happen of just like getting so far outside my head i did get chased by a pack of wild dogs on the last night and I had to like throw gravel at them but uh, that's just part of running through the country right oh my god it's worth pointing out that your zoom name is hogwarts aviary <laughs> <laughs> we had a gingerbread uh we had a gingerbread hogwarts great hall that lived on our deck for a while and we covered it bird seed and let birds attack it so we thought that this was appropriate so i'm really like achieving a theme oh my god well, we won't get into jk rowling in this podcast but um okay i feel like that's a really good uh 
That's a good book choice for that kind of event, I imagine, because it goes on forever. <laughs> There's like seven books or something. Yeah, right. I don't know. That's, that's wild. That is crazy. Um, and I can imagine weird dreams too. I, I've heard people hallucinate on these, uh, on these long races too. Like that's a common theme of some of these endurance running races and folks start to start to see things and your mind starts to play with you. Absolutely. There's a racer named Courtney Dowell. I'm saying her last name, right? She's truly incredible as a runner, but she has some of the most creative um, hallucinations of like jaguars and hammocks and what I, I did. A, I've done a number of winter ultras at this point, And those are where things get the weirdest where you're out on like a snowy path, for like 50 hours, dragging a sled. And all of a sudden the trees start turning into like demons and zombies. And you're just oh, like, wow. why is my brain doing this? Like, Come on, dirtbag brain, get with me. <laughs> <laughs> All your subconscious fears. What did you do to train and prepare for the race? Oh man, I went, so I was already living in Tennessee. So I already knew, you know, what a hundred degrees and 90% humidity felt like. And so among other things, I went like full Rocky and would like run in a sweatsuit in the middle of the summer and like sit up all the way and like up in like a hat on. And I'm like, if I don't get heat stroke today, then I'm not training hard enough. (laughs) So, um, so, uh, I've heard different people like try to like change their running gait because when you run for that long, you really can't, you know, open up the way that you'd expect to like run a marathon or half marathon. It's more, it's sort of like a, a shuffling pace. But um, I was not aware of that, so I trained as a runner, and so I spent a lot of time running in the heat, and uh, I would do stuff like I'd go to the local gym, and I'd do a spin class, so I'd get like my quads totally dusted, and then I'd go run 10 miles on a treadmill. So I was, I was still of the, uh, of the training plan that if it, if it sucks a whole lot, then I should probably do it because the suck is coming. And um, I think at least mentally it prepared me. I think my body still, you know, achieved a level of sort of trashedness before it sort of <laughs> before it accepted the new reality <laughs> just yourself like, yeah right <laughs> yeah if you read ultra like you should never listen ultra runner when they tell you how to train they're like yeah you know if you drag a tire from for you know like 25 miles then you're ready for a winter ultra and it's like, no, that's not true. Dragging a tire is just terrible. <laughs> nothing to replicate. Already. No, no, it's not similar to anything except for, you know, like just dying over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> what is dead may never die. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious if there were moments, because there sounds like there's a lot of, there were a lot of like horrible moments or weird moments or just, you know, where you're, I mean, God, sleeping with shoes as your pillow um, or I, I can't even imagine getting off, off the ground after running 45 miles and then trying to sleep in a parking lot doing the same thing over again. I just can't imagine how your body managed all that. But I'm curious if there was a moment where you felt like you'd, you'd made a horrible mistake or you're having second thoughts or if the whole time you were just kind of focused on, the, on finishing it. I was very, very focused the whole time. So I, I know I'm making it sound truly terrible because it was, but it was also something I really wanted to do. And really the bragging rights are, are, are better than the little wooden trinket you get at the end. But in terms of like, did I ever make a really horrible mistake? I might've been feeling kind of sorry for myself at some point and just, you know, wishing that I'd like roll an ankle or get bit by a dog so I could quit or something. <laughs> but I remember I was, uh, after running through through one of the nights, I was like sitting on a picnic table outside a gas station drinking a Yoohoo, a Yoohoo. 
and I saw another runner run up and he sat on a bench further down and it was like watching something truly terrible happen because the meat wagon rolled up and he got off the bench and he got in and I was like watching this happen. I was like, Oh my God, like he just quit. And we already come like 200 miles and he was quitting. And I was watching that. I was like, I can't do that. I was like, you know, like as long as my legs will work, like they'll DNF me standing up because I can't quit. And it was just sort of haunting. It still haunts me to think about this, you know, grown man throwing in the towel when he could still walk. And it was, uh, maybe that's a poor attitude, but it was, <laughs> it left a notion that, that, uh, that sort of scrubbed out any of those sort of self-pitying thoughts of, you know, wanting to quit. <laughs> so you were pretty sure you'd make it the whole time. I was sure I'd either, uh, I'd either make it or I'd, you know, DNF on time. So you had 10 days to do it. And they, the, the saying on the course is that any asshole can do math because they're like, Oh, 314 miles, 10 days. That's just 30 miles a day. If I can just do 30 miles a day. But, uh, <laughs> of course that's different from actually doing 30 miles a day. So, um, that, somebody someone dropped that one pretty early on in the race when people were cutting their shoes apart at a gas station. Gas stations were like the uh, were like the social hubs of the whole race. Yeah. But people's feet would start to swell in the heat and humidity, and so they'd take a knife to them and cut the toes out so Easy. that their uh, their feet could breathe more easily. I never did that, but I saw it enough that it was, I think, to some it's a rite of passage. Wild. <laughs> what about uh, what about your highest high or your lowest low for the run? Oh, the highest high was National Ice Cream Day it, that occurred over <laughs> <laughs> that occurred over um, over the race. And so, uh, me and this guy Justin that I ran with, we're still buddies. Me and this guy, uh, we were running together. Justin had uh, pink zebra stripe um, gooders. He was he was like a total boss on the course. Like you saw this guy coming. And he, you're just like, yeah, that man's in control. He's got like the number one gooders on. And we stopped in the Dollar General and we each got like three frozen Snickers bars and just like housed them standing in the parking lot and then like took off down the road like three or four days in like singing Bernie songs. And I was like, man, feels great. Like I'm totally going to finish three days and I can still run. This is amazing. And then I crashed hard that night. But uh, <laughs> the low lows come after the high highs, but yeah, just like jacking jacking ourselves up on sugar and singing dumb guitar rock songs. Uh, that was that was a high high on National Ice Cream Day. So I, I have a real I feel mixed about this question, but we ask it every time. Uh, if you had a time machine, would you go back and do anything differently, either to prepare for the race or in the race itself? Oh man, do I get to talk to myself in the past, or is it just like? myself in the past uh, be imaginative okay. time, time is, if there's one thing we've learned in in the course of 2020 and 2021 so far is that time is is an illusion <laughs> there we go yeah absolutely and that's and that's true when you're out on the road right you're just yeah. like ah yes there's just this white line to follow and there is nothing else nothing else is real um <clears throat> I, I think i'd go back and i would i'd choose different shorts to be quite to be quite honest i, would I wore a pair of boa space shorts um, they were like one and a half inch inseam shorts with like galaxy patterns all over them. So I looked dope. Like I looked awesome, but, um, I think I would have gone back and geared up a little bit differently. And, you know, you know, I, I think I would have, uh, I would have sprinted the first mile just to make everyone else feel bad. 
I think I would have done that because uh, it would have been <laughs> because everyone said, you know, like, enjoy, enjoy feeling good while you can, because you're not going to feel good again until this is over. And that was totally true. I would have savored, savored the first mile or two, you know, just a little bit more probably. <clears throat> Any injuries? Any injuries? Surprisingly, no. I mean, I was chafed like all the way through like a whole layer of skin. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Like, like I said, no shame. Just like stopping on the side of these little state highways with like a handful of A and D ointment, like you know, trying to like paint the inside of my thighs. Just like it doesn't help, but you're like maybe the placebo effect will work this time. Um, but beyond that, I tape my feet when I do these long distance races, so there's not a lot of blisters. Because when you're a distance, your blisters will knock you out faster than anything else. So I taped my feet religiously. Um, There's a little bit of KT tape involved, but that's mostly just so you, you know, look like you know what you're doing more than anything else. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no real injuries aside to my psyche. Yeah. So speaking of psyche, did this race have a la- have a lasting impact? I think it did. It really did. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of funny is that we moved back to Tennessee. We moved away and moved back to Tennessee. And we would um, be driving around these little these little roads, you know, going to like Natchez Trace Parkway or sort of checking out different state parks. And we'd drive by a little town and say, oh, my God, ran through here. And I slept in that, you know, construction site over there. And, you know, I had a real experience of the road. Like, <laughs> And so it's funny because it left this... Uh, this imprint over time, this sort of like I put, you know, blood and sweat down to the asphalt. And uh, I don't think I can ever quite get that part of me back. So yeah, it was, it was an impression on my psyche. But certainly it wasn't I wouldn't say it was a bad one. I wasn't scarred. But it definitely sort of made me feel like I was stretched a little bit thinner in more places at once. Mm. Wow. It's amazing. I mean, sometimes when we talk to people on this show, they, uh, they say that going a really ridiculous distance or doing something that's just very hard kind of opens this door <laughs> in the back mm-hmm. of the brain that they can walk through that, you know, after that point, it seems like there's a lot more that you could potentially do, like that the line moves a little bit further out in terms of what's possible, but also kind of what would be fun to try. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's there's a there's a total phenomenon in ultra running that I suspect exists in uh, in in long distance cycling where you finish one of these races and you're immediately like that was a terrible idea I will never do this again but three days later you'll be shopping around for another race yeah and uh, that that certainly happened with me I was like yeah man I ran across Tennessee in these conditions like sign me up for Badwater sign me up for Arrowhead sign me up for the Barkley like. I'm not scared, which I should be, but, um, it was, <laughs> but it, it certainly, it certainly did sort of move the line. As you said, that's a, it's a good way, a good way to describe it. That once you kind of try to start plumbing the depths, you find out that it's a lot deeper than you thought it was in the first place. Yeah. Right on. Where does this event fall in like the hierarchy of all the ultras that you've done? Like, it's, it's when people ask me the longest I've ever run, this is where I, this is what I normally say. It's like the longest race I ever did was 314 miles, but it's not the longest I've been on my fan. It's not the longest um, distance I've run continuously. 
So there's this whole spectrum. People always also like to ask, you know, like how many hundred miles or dollars have I done? I'm like, well, I did a 75 mile race with 40,000 feet of elevation change. So Jesus. not a not hundred miler, but still a bad time. Um, <laughs> so it's called the Georgia death race just because, you know, no right. one's got any common sense. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But it's a real trip. Um, it's, uh, in y'all's neck of the woods. You should, uh, you should check it out. <laughs> That's one where you have to carry a railroad spike with you the entire time and you throw it into a coffin when you get to the end <laughs> and then you get an engraved railroad spike as finishing as your finisher's prize. But um, in terms of like the hierarchy, I'd say this was the, uh, the most vacation time I've ever burned on a single race, <laughs> but it was uh, in some ways, maybe still not the hardest thing I ever did. Um, that would be Arrowhead for sure. Hmm. Do you view this run differently in retrospect? I think I do actually, because when I did it, it was the single hardest thing I'd ever done. And, um, <laughs> and, and uh, after that, after, you know, sort of risking life and limb in different capacities there are parts of it that seem that definitely seem tamer and there's parts of it where i think back and i'm like man that was stupid i would never do that again so uh there's definitely definitely like the running parts the athletic parts that seem seem easier in retrospect which is probably you know foolish and then there's parts that i don't think i fully appreciated um the risk of at the time so so let's say that i got wiser <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm smarter than that now. <laughs> We're going to take the W's where we can get them. There we go. Absolutely. <laughs> so we have uh, something called the rapid fire question. Um, in our experience, these questions uh, are not rapid. <laughs> they turn out, turns out we wrote them poorly and they do not solicit rapid answers. You're going to be like, it depends. Yeah, we had this cool idea of like, oh, it'll be really fast and it'll be like the first thing that comes to their mind, but that's not how that's worked. So and we spent an hour on these the first time we recorded it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It, it unearths yet more things. Um, so I'm going to hit you with rapid fire question number one. Is there anyone right. in the running or outdoor industry that you look up to or admire? I look up to a, a George Armstrong is certainly inspiring to me. He ran Ball State the same year as me. He's a Tennessee runner who does a lot for, um, for water charities in Africa, but he's also a consummate bass and runs in Tifas. So if, oh, if when, I th when I think of someone who doesn't give a damn, I think of Greg because uh, his fitness is just completely unbelievable and the, the range of activities that he's entered into. And, and he competed at the end of Vol State. He was racing somebody. He was racing second place. And to me, that's just unfathomable. So I'd say I look up to him sort of in a personal sense as well as just completely in awe of athletic ability. Wow. Tivos. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a Team USA. He's a champion ultra runner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what is the strangest thing you've ever eaten during a run or race? Oh, man, because I like to eat junk food normally. That's a little hard. Uh, <laughs> um, I fueled a significant portion of Barkley Fall Classic on Slim Jim's. So that was pretty foul. <laughs> like tailwind in one hand, Slim Jim in the other, feeling real country. 
I'd like I'd like record to reflect that my big dumb ride nutrition plan is bag pizza and tailwind. That's my oh, man. <laughs> no, but what flavor of tailwind do you get down with now? Um, right now I'm doing orange. Orange. All right. You know, I'm always fucking with the caffeinated ones, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know orange. I've been drinking a lot of Colorado cola. It sounds refreshing right now. Like I go for a tall glass of cold orange tailwind. <laughs> yeah, have 400 calories in it. <laughs> pull, pull me a pint of that. <laughs> All right. What's the worst clothing choice you've ever made on a run? Worst clothing choice. Oh man, my inclination is to uh, is is to go with shorts, but. Um, so, so I worked for, I worked, but I worked in run specialty for a little while. Right. And so they would always be, you know, giving us like quarter shoes or they'd give us, you know, like tank tops and shirts and shorts, like be like, wear this and tell us what you think. So our garment buyer, you know, and, um, I got a Brooks tank top at one point and we went for a bunch of runs in it. And I didn't realize until my nipples started bleeding through this like sort of semi sheer blue tank top yeah. that it was a see-through when it was wet and I sweat a lot so it was wet a lot and b it was deeply abrasive so I have uh, fond memories of throwing that particular tank top out and just like cutting ties and like this needs to go so um, that was a pretty poor choice to uh to, to put that on and run with it oh yeah the nipple chafing mm. gosh it's really gruesome for, it's you know almost as bad as having it any of this running stuff is being a spectator at a running race and, and seeing someone up close as their body, them. you know, I don't know why anybody watches running. Like I'm a I runner. And I don't I watch running. The thing at Boston was like, what are you guys doing here? Why are you here? <laughs> Do you want oh, to some of them are holding up signs that they want to give you a kiss. Like, okay. no way, man. Well, like, no way. <laughs> I know you're lying. Yeah, it's 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 weird, but yeah, like people, you know, literally falling apart physically, and everyone's just there, you know. God bless them, like cheering, and you know, you can do it. As the person, <laughs> probably, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like if uh, runners get a lot of flack for being masochists, then everybody watching them is just a sadist. So. <laughs> I don't know why people watch cycling either except muddy cyclocross races they are really fun to watch i was gonna say all the pictures i've seen of people like doing cream hand ups and like throwing burritos at runners covered i'm sorry at cyclists covered in mud i'm just like that looks like fun like i don't <laughs> own a bike but but i would do that that looks that looks great <laughs> yeah just they're, they're, for that particular sport the, the the bicycle itself is very poorly suited to the course conditions and that is the that is the point yeah, because you carry it, what, like a whole third of the race or something? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, uh, the, the, this might be a repetitive answer to the last question, it turns out, but what is the biggest mishap you've experienced on a big race to run? The biggest mishap? Oh, man. So, so, so normally my lovely wife crews me for these ultras. I don't know why but uh she she's sweet and keeps showing up and hands me a beer at the end and makes sure that i have everything you know like that i had planned to put in my pack actually makes it into my pack and one time i got a last minute i got a last minute entry into a race and she couldn't get off work to be supportive basically so i was on my own it was 6 a.m 
and I forgot to put my drop bag for miles 20 through 30. This is 50 carries for miles 20 through 30 or my hiking poles in the drop bag zone. So I got to mile 20 and felt like, oh my God, like I have no food. <laughs> I got another 10 miles to go. And like the aid station had water. But um, yeah, so my biggest mishap was totally dropping the ball, just like befuddled, like pre-copy and not putting my drop bag in the right place. So I, uh, I got to run the, la- the back half of that race, um, severely dehydrated and uh, just totally bonking without poles. But I did find some sticks in the woods in that race. I remember and like kind of hiking with, hiking with my cool sticks, you know, a bird mountain. Yeah, it was a bad scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I finished amazingly, amazingly. Um, what's the one thing you'd bring with you on any big dumb run? Oh, the one thing I bring with me. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. There's a chunk of asphalt that I used to carry with me um, when I was running to work every day because there was this dog that liked to chase me. And it was always important to have, you know, a, a rock in the pack. But um, something, <laughs> something, that I, something that I always bring with me is a Ziploc bag because you never know what's going to need to go in the Ziploc bag, whether it's like sticky goo stuff, whether it's like a wad of toilet paper, your cell phone in a freak thunderstorm. And so I think that's, that's not a very sexy answer, but uh, a Ziploc bag stuff in the bottom of my pack, that's a pretty, pretty big staple for me in terms of something practical that I can always find a use for. I probably should always bring a headlamp too, given the number of times that I've gotten lost after dark and come back with like a cell phone flashlight. Okay. That's my motto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's smart. That's smart is what that is. That's the voice of experience right there. <laughs> <laughs> Right. so this no no pressure but this next one has yielded some pretty funny answers uh and some actually some sheer brilliance uh if money and time was no object what is one product you'd bring to market that doesn't yet exist like an app a tool accessory whatever that is a really good question I'm trying to think because I'm so stripped down in terms of like my gear most of the time. I got a black and white watch and I run on shoes till the outsole comes off. But um, I'm like, I wish Strava didn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) There goes our Strava sponsorship, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) You can bleep that out. (laughs) Thankfully, we have our our seed fine technology, bag pizza, seed. Uh, I'm like a, I'm, I'm like an aggressive Luddite. Like I run in a cotton t-shirt, not because I don't know better, but because I'm just like angry about how much a running t-shirt costs. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have to be your, your black sheep on this particular question right here. It's like, I'm like, people should run with less. Like people shouldn't have sponsor tattoos and they shouldn't, you know, yeah. be like trying to get me to buy their CBD oil on Instagram. Like give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> Athletic sponsorship and product placement. It's, it's pretty bizarre. Do, do people, yeah, people sponsorship tattoos? Is that a thing? I've seen temporary tattoos. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we're screwing up, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. You guys, you guys need those like, you know, like Roctane and like, hammer jail nutrition tattoos like collar style <laughs> oh God. i uh i did an iron man years ago and uh i saw a lot of people with like the iron man corporate 
logo tattooed on their body. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to begrudge anybody for, you know, being proud of their achievement, but no. like, Iron Man is a corporation. Like they own the rock and roll franchise. Like, <laughs> yeah. <cool man>. like <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird thing. It's like, I, yeah, I totally, totally feel wanting to commemorate experience and not to take that away from anybody, but it was just a, it was a strange thing to see everywhere. Um, because yeah, it is a big company that, that uh, on your thigh. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, man, what happens yeah. if the stock goes bad? Like, <laughs> what are you going to do that? Uh, that Georgia death race I mentioned, you get free entry to that race. If you have a GDR tattoo. Oh, wow. And so some people do in fact have like the outline of the state of Georgia with like little skull and crossbones in there and just coast right in every year. It's like, ah, oh, is that all it takes? Jeez. I think there's a cross race somewhere out West where if you win, you're, you're supposed to get a tattoo. Oh, that's, that's, um, that's the single speed cyclocross national championship. <laughs> oh, is that the whole like, thing? Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't get a tattoo. That's heavy duty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you win, you get a tattoo. You get a, the, the men's and women's winners get a matching tattoo. Wow. And the trophy is a, a gold bikini bottom. That's, for both. that's amazing yeah. cyclocross cyclocross is where i should be man like i don't need to run anymore like I, i'm in love with this sport that you guys have going on <laughs> it's obviously unsanctioned oh <laughs> but it's so, but it's so beautiful <laughs> they had um it was in louisville kentucky a couple of years ago and they had on course again it's it's not usa cycling and the governing body has nothing to do with this thing it's all single speeds and they had one of those little like wall of flame things you had to jump over, like little low low gas flames, and and a ball pit. <laughs> and, I was gonna say, oh, that's like a Spartan race, but it's like, oh no, it has a sense of humor. Never mind. Ball, yeah. <laughs> in a in a traditional cyclocross race, you you jump over barriers, like you have to dismount and run over barriers. Usually they're like what, twelve to eighteen inches high. Um, the barriers at the Louisville race were six feet high. So you had to like pack your bike up them and then climb up and over. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. How, how I was thinking about your, yeah. your question, you know, what about, uh, about tech that I'd like to see. I, I've experimented with putting solar panels on my running pack before to charge my cell phone oh. Oh, yeah. with, uh, with very limited success. And I'm not sure that it already exists in the bike world. I could believe it did. It does. But yeah, like a, a, some sort of solar panel that you could affix and actually charge your phone on, on the road. Because with Volstead, that was a real issue where I'd have to, you know, duck into a Waffle House and say, hey, can I borrow your outlet by the Waffle Makers to charge my phone, you know, while I sit here and consume 4,000 calories? <laughs> and uh, it got a little awkward every now and then. It would have been mediated with uh, with some more battery capacity. <laughs> I mean, do you do you bring a bag with you like that, like on a race like that, or is it like, what are you carrying with you when you're running across the state? Oh, I'm wearing. I was wearing a. Uh, it's an Ultimate Direction brand P Peter Backman Adventure Pack. So it's basically a vest with like a billion pockets. So if you can imagine the illegal love child, the illicit love child of cargo pants and like uh, a vest, that's basically what I was wearing. And so, you know, pockets for bottles up front, mesh pockets to stick your phone in, a bladder for the back, like some bungee cords to stick a, uh, a, um, like a shun, that kind of thing. So it's basically a, a really built up vest, just like packed full of everything you think you'll need. 
wild. And yeah. and like, do you bring an extra pair of socks, or do you run three miles on a pair of socks? You know, I brought an extra pair of socks and I brought an extra shirt, and I never unpacked them. I always they were like always like my extreme backup, and so the smell was amazing. My wife rolled down the windows when we left the uh, the finish line to drive home. She's like, sorry, this is bad. <laughs> Nobody wants you around. <laughs> so. Yeah, but it, you, you have pretty dirt baggy where if you saw, you know, a sprinkler going or something, you're like, I am a thousand percent running up on that person's lawn and through that sprinkler, just trying to uh, to cool off a little bit. So that helped a bit. But for the most part, everybody was just like a salty, crusty mess by the end. What did recovery look like? How long did it take you to get back to feeling at least physically normal? You, you know, it's horrible. And this is a part that I should probably never say out loud because, you know, when you say things out loud, it makes them real, which is, which is that after, after three days, I was ready to die. Like my body was just trashed. It's like after five days, I was almost getting used to it. And on the seven, seven day, like I could have kept going. I could have done 45 miles on day eight and probably 45 miles on day nine and 10. And it's like, you start to understand how it is people do cross country races and do, you know, even longer, even longer things where there's like a break-in period. And if you can make it through that kind of break-in period, then actually do begin to develop some of like the movement patterns and the, the range of motion that you actually need. And you get the actual pace that is appropriate down to conserve energy and not get hurt. So the recovery period wasn't long for me because I think that I spent so long out there that I came out on the other side. So oh. I went home and it was just weird to be indoors mostly. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I keep picturing Forrest Gump for some reason. Um, we, we asked you about how this race maybe has changed your relationship with running. But I, I kind of want to know how this, relation, how this race has changed your relationship with Harry Potter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> There's definitely parts that will be etched into my mind forever. And, like, I can remember where in Tennessee I was, you know, like, what, what like, road cut through I was running through where Harry's like yelling at Dumbledore and then there's other parts that, you know, just sort of like blur into like the white line and just like the sort of endless road that, uh, I'm sure that if I were to go back and like listen to the audio book again, listen to Jim Dale reading it again, I, Oh yeah, I've heard this before. I was in a dream state, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so in some ways watching the movies is easier because it doesn't have all those strange associations. Yeah. Flashbacks flashbacks <laughs> amazing I have one more follow-up question asked you about strange places or strange things that you you ate but what was the where was the strangest place you slept oh that's a good question <laughs> so um I'm trying to think the uh i'll start with like the most normal place that i slept which was that me and two strangers who i met on day one of the course we split a motel room three ways on the very first night. And so that was almost normal, but there's three of us and there was like one twin bed. They probably thought we were some sort of, you know, exciting arrangement coming in. Like renting this. Yeah. Right. They're like, we don't know about all, but your money's good. <laughs> and so, and then I don't think anybody actually got into the bed. I think everybody slept off on their backs on the floor with their feet up on chairs, trying to drain the fluid out of their feet. So that was pretty weird, but it was still the most normal thing. The, um, the, one, the one that sticks out to me was wrapping myself in a space blanket again and sleeping in a ditch in a construction zone on the side of the highway. 
And this is where like looking back, you're like, that was a poor choice. Like, don't, don't do that again, self. But uh, I was just that tired that I put in my headphones, listen to Harry Potter and uh, just like totally conked out, you know, with, you know, all the cones around me and all the kind of ephemera of a construction zone as cars were going by. I was like, I just didn't even care. I was like, I'm just going to sleep for an hour here. It'll be okay. So uh, that one was pretty wild where I lost enough sense to do that. Further along the course, people would do stuff like they would, um, I guess you call it hot seating, where one person would rent a motel room, and then as people came in for the night, somebody would get up and keep on running, and somebody else would take their place in the bed. And so you'd have, you know, 20 runners cycle through a motel room over the course of the night, you know, off the books. Oh, it's gross. uh, It was very gross. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, nobody cared anymore. (laughs) No, in the context of a pandemic, that's even grosser. (laughs) I know, right? This is a story that did not not age well. Now we're just like, oh my God, and you all didn't get, you know, deathly ill. (laughs) I mean, even still, wow, you guys didn't all get deathly ill. (laughs) We were probably already deeply sick, so it's all right. Legionnaire's disease. did you, how much were you actually sleeping? I mean, were you doing like just an hour shift at a time or did you actually get a full night anywhere? I I was afraid of falling behind. So I never actually laid down and ever slept like, you know, seven, eight hours. I think probably the longest I slept over the week was three hours at a time. But, um, but if, you know, I'm in grad school now, so this was great training. (laughs) For the all-nighters. I feel like sometimes the people who, are the most successful at these endurance races aren't necessarily the most, the fastest or the best athletes per se, but people who have this kind of strange capacity to go without sleep for extended periods of time and like <clears throat> functional. Like I've watched the, um, the, the outtakes from the Silk Road race um, and, and the Atlas race. And it seems like those guys, the guys who win are just so methodical and they just don't sleep. Yeah. There's art to keeping yourself awake and not wasting time laying down. And it's certainly something I wish I could perfect a little bit more. But uh, as you were saying, not the people who are like the strongest or the biggest or the most athletic who always succeed in these races, which is why I think it's, it's fascinating that you have both men and women win races like Ball State in different years, because as the course gets longer, the different attributes you need to be truly successful are no longer just like raw speed and strength. It's right. can you stay awake for four days straight? You know, can you will yourself to keep running when everything is falling apart? And yeah. I don't think that's a male or a female trait. Yeah. And did you bring the right book on tape, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I think it's a really cool aspect of endurance, anything really. The, the playing field gets kind of not even then it, it definitely like the rules change. So it's pretty cool. Absolutely. I think it was the year after, after I ran a, a woman won it, um, a gal named Francesca, who's like an Italian professor from like UT Knoxville or something. So <laughs> she won it the following year. And then I think Greg Armstrong beat three days the year after that is my memory. Yeah. I, so Patrick, we used to pal around, you know, uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, <laughs> uh, our, uh, our Venn diagram of interests, uh, sort of intersected on, on music, uh, particularly like the, the loudest, most dissonant music possible. Um, but, but you weren't a runner. 
I mean, it's not like you, you didn't work in high school track. I don't think you no. were, you didn't do any, I don't remember that being at all part of the equation. What, what got you into doing this? <laughs> what was the catalyst that <laughs> led you down the wormhole of, of running from one city to the other? This, so that, that's a funny question. You may not know. I was on the track team for one week. I, uh, I got recruited. Some the coach said, you look like a runner. And he put me on the track team. He asked me to come down and I went to one practice and I was like, these guys are lame. So I quit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was my big high school track experience. I think that the reason I started doing the long stuff, I was just curious. I was curious at, uh, what the interplay between the mind and the body can be. I remember doing my first, I think it was a 25 K I ran in Vermont on these black diamond slopes. I was unprepared. Everything failed legs locked up, just like cramped unbelievably. But, you know, to, to, you're familiar with this, you know, you, you will yourself, you will your body to sort of move beyond those failures and you find, you know, new places to go and new ways to get where you're actually trying to be. And I found that just so intriguing. And, uh, from there it just became looking for, the strangest scenario to, uh, to, to test this new part of myself, to test this new door that I could walk through. Did you ever do short runs? Like, did you, yeah. did you start with short runs? And then... mm -hmm. uh, there was like an eight mile loop around, um, around the uh, farm I was working at and I would go out and I would run it painfully and eventually less painfully and eventually you know, twice over and such. So, um, yeah, I, I started, I started probably, uh, as short run, but not as short as I should have started. I actually knew what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, eight miles. Eight miles seems like a good distance to start at. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to interpret that as the answer to that question is no. <laughs> no. Running <laughs> <laughs> eight miles. <laughs> you know the Kingdom Trails in Vermont? Have you heard of these? Yeah. I did a race called Circumberk when I was up there, mountain bikers and runners on the same course. And man, what a shit show. Like <laughs> the mountain bikers are like pushing their bikes up the mountain, like, you know, power hiking and I'm running up feeling like a real badass. And they get to the top and they get on their bike and just like smoke me coming back and back down the mountain. And we play this like insane game of leapfrog. And I remember I was coming up the final like couple miles and we had to like cross a kind of flat area and a biker kind of, you know, like, pushes past me it's like hey man I, I don't know how you're running this i'm like holy shit i ran this and you brought this big metal beast with you are you kidding me like that's ridiculous <laughs> i don't know how you're doing this man so i think it's all about uh what sort of what sort of suits your mechanics and what sort of speaks to you so the the, the final question we have in our, our prepared question set uh is kind of born out of sarah and i's experience over the course of the last year where like the entire world around us totally shuts down and, and no sense of normalcy exists in our lives, except that we like riding our bikes and we can still do that. So we just, just started doing that. Like as the, as the thing, you know, the, yeah. the tie back to the before times. And as you reflect on maybe the experience the last year, maybe the experience the last 10 years, you know, can you tell us more about your relationship with big dumb runs and what it means to you? Certainly. I think that there was a real thrill I was chasing early on the thrill of, you know, going these distances and 
having some sort of transcending experience and then, you know, laughing about chafing and misery. But I think that what's, uh, what's come out more, especially this past year is just how intrinsic running is to my daily life and how much I need to be on my feet. And that if I take a week off, it doesn't feel normal and it doesn't matter if it's fast or if it's slow, or even if I'm like properly training and, you know, doing workouts and whatnot, but that time, time on my feet is very much a part of who I am. And especially during the whole last year where I haven't raced, I've done like a few 50 mile runs here in town, you know, try to sort of do a little facsimile ultra, that sort of thing. But it's like, even without the competition, it's been, it's been important. And I didn't, I didn't expect to see that as part of myself. Cause I know how much I like racing and how much I like the ultra scene and competing and, you know, trying, trying to go fast and push myself. But when it's just, just me running, I've learned that that in some cases is enough. I don't know. I haven't followed as closely, like how many running races were, are canceled are opening back up again, but just curious about you. You've done all these huge races and big goals and I, and you, you know, you set these targets for these massive races and I'm sure you're like working towards those, but what are you thinking about as we kind of slide into this crazy year? Are there races that are on your your radar or are you kind of just thinking about running for the sake of running? It's, it's very much for the last year been running for the sake of running and maybe not even running these insanely long distances, sort of being at peace with those being on the back burner right now. And, uh, the pandemic has me, this is ironic, wanting to stay closer to home and, uh, not, you know, put myself out, you know, 150 miles away from loved ones and from sort of like the house and home base because you never know how much contact you're going to have to make to get back home you know i've gotten lost and had a taxi back home in foreign countries things like that but it's like um <clears throat> not not wanting to do the distance and the risk quite as much that has certainly been during the pandemic but looking forward there's races i wanted to do last year like i had wanted to make a bad water attempt last year and run the bad water 135 wildcat style without anybody else because that race is too grand just to enter and yeah i'm not fooling i'm not fooling with that (laughs) so um but it's on public land and you can just do it and so i really wanted to do that last july but last july things were pretty rough right so i'm I'm hoping that even if i I can't you know make bad water happen this summer then i can do something similar that was on the plan you know last year hot foot hamsters one down by phoenix they hold in may it's a 24-hour race on a loop course so I was disappointed not to get to do that last time. And hopefully, hopefully things will be sorted out enough and give it a shot this coming year, this year. That's cool. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, right. So. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm sure, sure I'll be out there 12 hours in and be like, I look forward to this. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, $2,000 for a race entry. Good God. Yeah, well, they, 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 they copyrighted World's Toughest. And when you when you can copyright world's toughest, you can print that on everything. And then you can start to charge $2,000 for your race because people want to run the world's toughest race. And I don't know how much an Ironman costs, but it's many hundreds of dollars, right? It was um, at the time, almost $800 for a full. Wow. 
man. And you get to swim. Like that's you get to swim in the Ohio River, which was having an algae bloom. Oh, yeah. so gross. <laughs> miraculously, miraculously cleared up two days before the event. And I was like, where did Iron Man write that check to? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh man, uh, that's yeah. that's nasty. Gnarly. I'd be- <laughs> it was kind of like um you got into it and it was like a, a filmy, silky feeling. Oh no. You can kind of feel like fumes coming off it and then i started swimming and um <laughs> the water started creeping into the side of my goggle you know oh, where you can see the water line rising <laughs> I'm, like, I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah right like this iron man's gonna be it <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's bad. first and last actually you know now that i've got gills i felt like it was time to quit so yeah right like you've done it you can get the tattoo just yeah that is a whole other that is a whole other universe so it's been great as this as this podcast recording has uh progressed and of course we, we actually don't keep video or just it's audio only but the sun has been setting so Patrick, you've been getting darker and darker and darker. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Yeah. What what percentage of the of the miles do you reckon you did after dark? I'd probably say about half because I could move a lot better. Like you could see better in the light, obviously, but you could move better at night. And so one strategy that has been undertaken by some women who have been very, very successful. I happen to know them personally, um, is that they've actually run like 30 or 40 miles and then gone to bed and they've slept through the hottest part of the day, woken up as the sun was falling, and then booked it all night. And as the sun was coming up, getting into the next hotel room. So there's different strategies, and with relatively few rules, you can do stuff like that. And so it's a definite, um, it's a definite uh, sort of advantage if you feel comfortable running at night, because you can actually, you know, your, your pace is going to be that much better because you're not going to have the sun beating down on you. The funny thing is, though, is that even though it's, you know, night and it's cool, like, nothing's going to evaporate. And so you're just cold and clammy half the time when you're moving at night. I remember Ugh. being so ir- irritated by, like, salty, sweaty clothes, and, like, take them off and, like, just kind of hold them out to the side. It's like, I don't want this on my skin anymore. <laughs> yeah, it sounds vile. Yeah, I'm really selling this race, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> we all rush out to sign up well this has been super fun uh I, I this was great to talk about running i really like that it's very nice to be able to ask me to be on even though i don't know anything about biking so. glad we did <laughs> yeah right all right man well it's good to catch up this is pretty cool <laughs> yeah it's great but uh patrick was great hilarious guy a total lunatic and i really love talking to him about running a, a very far distance um and you know we should interview more people who don't ride bikes but do other big dumb efforts yeah we probably should i it was really good to talk to patrick and actually it it was the first time that i had had a real conversation with patrick in over 10 years he and wow. i used to be bandmates in high school we played in a metal band called outrun the storm and uh <laughs> We, we practiced in a, a storage facility that they actually ended up condemning and then continuing to rent to us for a discounted rate after condemning. And, was, <laughs> and we used to like shoot each other with airsoft guns and graffiti the walls. And yeah, yeah. So we, you know, I know him from, from metal and then, you know, uh, fast forward a decade and a half and he's, he's an ultra runner. <laughs> 
That's incredible. Uh, did you explain to Patrick Sweat that our theme, our opening theme track is is you playing uh, drums? I, ha I have an extra little surprise for Patrick for the outro music for this one particular episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs>